Um, today's yeah, reading is from Leviticus chapter 4. Um, the Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, When anyone sins unintentionally and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands, if the anointed priest sins, bringing guilt on the people, he must bring to the Lord a young bull without defect as a sin offering for the sin he has committed. He is to present the bull at the entrance to the tent of meeting before the Lord. He is to lay his hand on its head and slaughter it there before the Lord. Then the anointed priest shall take some of the bull's blood and carry it into the tent of meeting. He is to dip his finger into the blood and sprinkle some of it seven times before the Lord in front of the curtain of the sanctuary. The priest shall then put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of fragrant incense that is before the Lord in the tent of meeting. The rest of the bull's blood he shall pour out at the base of the altar of burnt offering at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He shall remove all the fat from the bull of the sin offering, all the fat that is connected to the internal organs, both kidneys with the fat on them near the loins, and the long lobe of the liver, which he will remove with the kidneys, just as the fat is removed from the ox sacrificed as a fellowship offering. Then the priest shall burn them on the altar of burnt offering. But the hide of the bull and all its flesh, as well as the head and legs, the internal organs and the intestines, that is all the rest of the bull, he must take outside the camp to a place ceremonially clean where the ashes are thrown and burn it there in a wood fire on the ash heap. If the whole Israelite community sins unintentionally and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands, even though the community is unaware of the matter, when they realize their guilt and the sin they committed becomes known, the assembly must bring a young bull as a sin offering and present it before the tent of meeting. The elders of the community are to lay their hands on the bull's head before the Lord, and the bull shall be slaughtered before the Lord. Then the anointed priest is to take some of the bull's blood into the tent of meeting. He shall dip his finger into the blood and sprinkle it before the Lord seven times in front of the curtain. He is to put some of the blood on the horns of the altar that is before the Lord in the tent of meeting. The rest of the blood he shall pour out at the base of the altar of burnt offering at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He shall remove all the fat from it and burn it on the altar and do with this bull just as he did with the bull for the sin offering. In this way, the priest will make atonement for the community and they will be forgiven. Then he shall take the bull outside the camp and burn it as he burned the first bull. This is the sin offering for the community. When a leader sins unintentionally and does what is forbidden in any of the commands of the Lord his God, when he realizes his guilt and the sin he has committed becomes known, he must bring as his offering a male goat without defect. He is to lay his hand on the goat's head and slaughter it at the place where the burnt offering is slaughtered before the Lord. It is a sin offering. Then the priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering and pour out the rest of the blood at the base of the altar. He shall burn all the fat on the altar as he burned the fat of the fellowship offering. In this way, the priest will make atonement for the leader's sin and he will be forgiven. If any member of the community sins unintentionally and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands, when they realize their guilt and the sin they have committed becomes known, they must bring us their offering for the sin they committed, a female goat without defect. They are to lay their hand on the head of the sin offering and slaughter it at the place of the burnt offering. Then the priest is to take some of the blood with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of the burnt offering and pour out the rest of the blood at the base of the altar. They shall remove all the fat, just as the fat is removed from the fellowship offering, and the priest shall burn it on the altar as an aroma pleasing to the Lord. In this way, the priest will make atonement for them, and they will be forgiven. If someone brings a lamb as their sin offering, they are to bring a female without defect. They are to lay their hand on its head and slaughter it for a sin offering at the place where the burnt offering is slaughtered. Then the priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering and pour out the rest of the blood at the base of the altar. They shall remove all the fat, just as the fat is removed from the lamb of the flesh, fellowship offering. And the priest shall burn it on the altar on top of the food offerings presented to the Lord. In this way, the priest will make an atonement for them for the sin they have committed, and they will be forgiven. If anyone sins because they do not speak up when they hear a public charge to testify regarding something they have seen or learned about, they will be held responsible. If anyone becomes aware that they are guilty, if they unwittingly touch some anything ceremonially unclean, 
whether the carcass of an unclean animal, wild or domestic, or of any unclean creature that moves along the ground. And they are unaware that they have become unclean, but then they come to realize their guilt. Or if they touch human uncleanness, anything that would make them unclean, even though they are unaware of it, but then they learn of their guilt and realize their guilt. Or if anyone thoughtlessly takes an oath to do anything, whether good or evil, in any matter one might carelessly swear about, even though they are unaware of it, but then they learn of it and realize their guilt. When anyone becomes aware that they are guilty in any of these matters, they must confess in what they have sinned. As a penalty for the sin they have committed, they must bring to the Lord a female lamb or goat from the flock as a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement for them for their sin. Anyone who cannot afford a lamb is to bring two doves or two young pigeons to the Lord as a penalty for their sin, one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. They are to bring them to the priest, who shall first offer the one for the sin offering. He is to wring its head from its neck, not dividing it completely, and is to splash some of the blood of the sin offering against the side of the altar. The rest of the blood must be drained out at the base of the altar. It is a sin offering. Then the priest shall offer the other as a burnt offering in the prescribed way and make atonement for them for the sin they have committed and they will be forgiven. If, however, they cannot afford two doves or two young pigeons, they are to bring as an offering for their sin a tenth of an ephah or the finest flour for a sin offering. They must not put olive oil or incense on it because it is a sin offering. They are to bring it to the priest who shall take a handful of it as a memorial portion and burn it on the altar on top of the food offerings presented to the Lord. It is a sin offering. In this way, the priest will make atonement for them for any of these sins they have committed, and they will be forgiven. The rest of the offering will belong to the priest, as in the case of the grain offering. This is God's word. Thank you, both of you. Um, when I was reading through um, Leviticus, and I got to this um, section, um, I must confess, um, as I was reading it, I, I thought I was getting things out of the others, and they spoke quite clearly to me. And I got to this one, I thought, what's, what's going on here? What, what do we get out of it? And then by the end of it, um, it became one of the sweetest parts for me um, as I as I uh, studied um, it, and I hope that's true um, for you guys as well as we look at it. So let's um, pray um, together. Lord, open our eyes um, to see your word clearly. May our ears be attentive to what you have to say to us, Lord, and our hearts ready to receive it. And Lord, I pray that you'll fix our eyes upon um, Jesus and that we'll love him um, more and that we'll be drawn um, to him for who he is and all that he has done. Amen. Oh, let me start with this question then. Um, how many chapters of the Bible would you say are without sin? I know it's a bit of a we question about us. What do you what do you reckon? What would you go for? For anybody? Three. Three. Okay. Any others? Well, I went for four. Although I'm not going to argue with you. Who said it? I might argue with you. How big are you? <laughs> oh, oh no, we haven't we haven't admitted to it. Probably some little guy sitting in the chair now. <laughs> Head down. Yeah, I went I went I went for four. Um, I reckon Genesis 1 and 2, okay, before uh, the first sin was committed. And I think the last two chapters of the Bible, okay, with the um, sin finally done away with permanently uh, out of um, the new heavens and the new earth. So that's what I went for. Um, so that means that the whole story of the Bible is one of God dealing with sin then, isn't it? Four chapters out of 1,189 um, without um, sin. Um, I don't know, again, I know you're a young, a young crowd, but um, we used to sing um, a song when I, I think when I was a teenage Christian, 
And how can I be free from sin? Maybe it's got a resurgence. I don't know. Ben, maybe you can do something with it. Bring it back to the, <laughs> up to the church. How can I be free from sin, um, from the guilt, the power, the pain? And the answer is, lead me to the cross um, of Jesus. Um, that's the answer to the sin problem found in the gospel of Jesus Christ, prefigured um, in um, Leviticus. So in this session, we're going to learn some things about the nature uh, of sin, um, the nature of the sacrifices, and, uh, and the nature of salvation um, through um, these um, verses. But the first thing is, this sacrifice teaches us about the nature of sin and warns God's people about the, the problem of sin and the power um, of sin. Time and time again in Leviticus, um, over and over again, it wants to impress upon um, the people um, that sin should never be taken lightly. Even those sins that are committed in um, negligence um, or ignorance, which is what this, these sacrifices, I hope you saw that from the reading. Um, it's there at the beginning, it's scattered throughout. It's about sins committed in um, negligence, um, in ignorance. But nevertheless, the Bible, we know, paints a pretty horrific picture of the devastation that sin causes and talks a lot about, it gives different words um, for sin and the nature of sin, um, idolatry, um, error, um, rebellion, missing the mark, straying from the path, treachery, lust, ungodliness, wickedness, sin disregards, commits willful error, brings guilt, lacks integrity, perverts and breaks um, the law. So um, Leviticus is never trying to hide that when it's talking about the sacrifices, but actually trying to bring that to the forefront. And it's through the regulations of this um, sacrifice that we discover that sin is actually very pervasive and very um, powerful. Sin um, gets um, everywhere, um, is everywhere. And we know that, don't we? we it's seen in the toddler's um, tantrum. We would say, don't you? You never have to teach children to um, sin. I was saying to uh, Abby and Loz this morning, I tried one thing with my children. The first time they tantrumed, I just did that tantrum. And I said, we both can do that. And he did actually shock them. Uh, and, and the other 100 people in the store. Uh, <laughs> but it's in there, toddler's tantrum. Uh, the teenager's tough talk. My son recently said to me, he's not here, I wouldn't say in my home church, uh, but he said to me, oh, I could take you down. He said that. <laughs> tough, tough talk. I could take, I could take you um, down. So, uh, parents' pride, uh, grandparents' greed. It's just everywhere, isn't it? Uh, in fact, we even heard this morning that um, even when we're seeking to do the good, sin pervades it by mixed motives and, and wrong goals. It's just ever there, isn't it? Ever uh, present. And we just know that thing from the early chapter of Genesis, sin desires to have you, but you must you know, be over it. And we just know that, don't we? It's just there um, always, affecting everything. See, there's no corner of your existence and my existence that hasn't had the dirt of sin blown um, into it. And when and Matt ended, he, he, he said to hearing that all our things, even the gifts and the offerings, we, we just know that they fall short. They're always contaminated. And we're grateful and that in Christ, and we and they are accepted. So, so here in chapter 4, you get these four scenarios, um, each involving um, different sinners bringing an offering. Um, in summary, um, it goes like this. Basically, the higher you're standing in the community, um, you, you're a priest or the whole community at large, then the leader and then individual Israelites. Depending who you are, depends how um, big the sin is in regards to against God and its impact on the community. And so the larger the sacrifice that has, has to take place. So you could read it again and you'll see that. So the one is order of decreasing um, kind of responsibility in regards to its effect. So the high um, priest, the priest, they have the most, the individual sisters and the least. Um, that's how the chapter is divided um, by the identity of the one who's making the, the sacrifice. And obviously, <laughs> it pushes upon us and the great responsibility that those who hold um, offices uh, and positions uh, in the church have, which is why I thanked um, Ben, who 
spoke so passionately and courageously at um, Synod because um, he rightly called back those who have those positions of responsibility to do their job because we recognize they have such a big impact uh, upon the rest of the, uh, of the church. And, and these sacrifices show that, they highlight that to us. And all of us in position of officers, uh, positions of leadership in the church have to take that seriously. And we know sin doesn't... Um, I used to think of sin like this putrid, stagnant pond. When I was um, growing up in a little mining village, we had this pond that didn't have water flowing into it or out of it. So it used to get really um, putrid. Um, we used to go fishing um, in there. There wasn't many fish in there, but... <laughs> That we did it. Although once somebody put this huge carp in, we had no idea why, a huge carp in this pond. And then it was a really hot summer in the water and it was um, just stuck there. Uh, so we went into this stagnant pond to get it out and then we were obviously filthy. And I think sometimes we think like that about sin. We just think, oh, you've really got to get um, involved in it until it really affects you. But sin is more like that pollution that's pumped into the into the river or into the sea, and it affects everything, and it flows um, out and towards others, and particularly the sins of um, leaders um, in the church. Uh, it just flows out, and it's pumped um, downstream. That sin corrupts everything in its path, creeps and crawls forward all the time, leaving decay and death um, behind it, even polluting the sanctuary. So if you read on in Leviticus, we won't have time to look at this, but you get some sacrifices that are made for the articles and for the sanctuary itself because the whole idea that the sanctuary itself gets affected because of the people's sin and what takes a place there in atoning for it. Uh, but sin is it's powerful, isn't it? We um, shouldn't think about it as um, passive. Like I say, if you, if you only think about it as something that's out there and if you jump into it, you get dirtied um, by it, um, then we'll, we'll have a we'll have a problem because it, it's, it's powerful and it's effective and it's um, controlling. Um, I remember um, one of the Puritans, William Ames, he, I think he, um, it was something like this, I read it a long, long time ago, but I'll paraphrase. And if you do read it, you think it's nothing like that. I just remember I paraphrased. Um, <laughs> so he, he, he basically said, when you were a younger Christian, um, sin is like, um, you get some manure and you put it in your mouth and you chew it and you think, well, that's, that's not good. <laughs> that's got a, a foul taste to it. And you think, no, I don't want to do that, but you've, you've chewed it. And he says, as you mature as a Christian, it's like when you're out in the field and you, you can smell them, maybe spreading manure on the field a mile away, and you think, well, I don't like that. <laughs> I don't want to get close to that. I hope I can get in the other Direction because we realize that sin pervades everything. And as we mature as Christians, the, the whiff of it should start to get us to think, I want to get away from it um, for its influence. We know sin affects everything, influences everything in our lives. Um, and that when we do sin, we don't just return to where we were spiritually, it's a setback. You, you know that, don't you? That sin, sin is a setback. Um, Sin takes us farther than we want to go, holds us there longer than we want to stay, and makes us pay more than we ever intended to pay. We're just powerful and pervasive. And then COVID. Who remembers COVID? Is it still going on in the South? <laughs> finished, finished, in the, finished in the North, about two months after it started. My, my dad... He'll me a dad story. My, um, my dad lives in a little mining village, and I, f I just felt sorry for him. And I called him up one day, and I said, oh, dad, how are you doing? You know, I mean, it's three months in, not seeing people and what have you. And my sister lived nearby. He said, no, I'm doing, I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. And then he started talking about people, and I said, and he doesn't phone. He doesn't speak to me on the phone. But I said, oh, I didn't hear. He said, oh, they were just saying that in the pub over a beer. I said, no, everything's closed, dad. He went, we just keep the shutters down. <laughs> The entire village just carried on <laughs> as if nothing was happening. They just kept the shutters down. Anyway, COVID, um, it taught us, didn't it, um, keep contagious people, infectious people away from others. Um, baked potato, baked potato, yeah. 
He does baked potato. You know baked potato, don't you? Do you want another song? No. Baked potato, you know, you stay indoors. Cover your mouth. Don't go outside. The little song. And that's what we have to do. And then here, <laughs> the leaders of the people are contagious. They're affecting um, people. Um, it, it's really interesting in um, Titus. Seems like really strong language, but um, Paul one is writing to Timothy, and he says of the false teachers who are infecting whole households. He talks about that, and he says they must be silenced. Um, I thought one thing, Ben, you were very polite and nice. It's good job I wasn't on synod because um, I I would might have had um, shouting up and <laughs> getting them silenced. You know, just silence them. Some of these people. And these leaders, their positions of leadership touch lots of people's lives, affect them with sin. And one of the messages of this, this offering that some people call the purification offering, could be good, is that sin is serious. Serious for the whole congregation, serious for individuals, and it's serious for people in positions of leadership. And so why was the blood taken into the sanctuary? Well, as I said, read on in... Leviticus, because sin even starts to affect those places that God has provided for them because it becomes associated with it and, and people's minds, it has to be cleansed like a deep cleansing. Paul picks up the same language in 1 Corinthians um, chapter 5, words, looking at the polluting nature of sin uh, in the household um, of faith. And sin divides, doesn't it? It divides and it defiles the first sin in history. Adam and Eve um, led to barriers between Adam and Eve. Sin led to division and defilement ever since, brother against brother. The Israelites wander for 40 years in the wilderness because of their sin. And then sin has divided nation from nation, parent from child, husband from wives, followers from leaders. You commit a a sin and it's like throwing a, a pebble into a pond and the ripples and just keep spreading to other parts of our lives and the lives of other people. And then we get this sacrifice, and I said to you, it became very sweet to me. And it was because of that realization that this sacrifice is for unintentional sin. Now, let me ask you a question. How often in your relationships with one another, friends... Uni, mates, um, family members, work uh, colleagues, fellow believers in church. Have you excused what you've done by saying, I didn't mean to? Um, when you're younger, you use it and there's nothing, no, it's not, no sophistication behind it. You just say, oh, I didn't mean to, don't you, as a young child. And everybody should let you off the hook because it's a, I didn't mean to sin. And then as you get older, you have ways of wrapping up, I didn't mean to, <laughs> in very sophisticated um, language. That what you're really saying is, there's no issue with me. I think the issue is with you because I, I didn't mean to. So maybe really it's how you've responded, your, the heat of how you responded to this little I didn't mean to action about me. If we, we brush so many sins under the carpet with, I didn't mean to brush. And then God says, I'm going to give you an entire sacrifice for the didn't mean to sins, for those unintentional um, sins. We see them as um, embarrassing and they just should be overlooked. And God says, no, they're defiling and I'm going to make sure they're covered over. But that's an encouraging thing, isn't it? Because so many of our Sins often are just unintentional. Not what they call the high-handed sin, where you know you're going to do wrong and you're going to go against it, although we do do those. But a lot of the time, it's just unintentional, sometimes unaware, and then later it comes to to light. So in marriages, how often those I didn't mean to become serious burdens in the relationship. In friendships, how often those I didn't mean to become barriers to love. In churches, how often those I didn't mean to become blocks on maturity for individuals in the church. Unintentional sins, but not unimportant sins. 
And God says through this sacrifice, as John picks up in his letters, no, don't brush them under the carpet. Bring them into the light. Bring them to the tent of meeting, to the tabernacle, where they can be atoned for. And so chapter 5, verses 1 to 13, it gives us three case studies. So you've got this whole thing about unintentional sins. It goes down the different groups with this kind of order of um, impact that they have, depending on who you are. But then we're given some case studies um, of how um, these unintentional sins might work out. Um, Three, where sins of omission defile. The first one's in verse 1, which I've called silence when you should have spoken. Um, Silence when you should have spoken. The failure to testify when um, a person's evidence was uh, needed. So they say silence is golden, isn't it? But sometimes silence is actually cowardly yellow <laughs> because you don't speak because of the impact it might have upon um, you. And so we have to be ready to give an account. Let me just um, tell this story. I think, I think it fits in here application-wise um, under these silence when you should have spoken. Many times when I was doing student ministry, I did it for 10 years. And many times, one of the students would end up far away and we were trying to get them back and I'd chat to some of the other Christians and they say well it's not surprising two years ago he started doing this and then a year ago he started doing that and I said oh why didn't anybody tell me snitches get stitches <laughs> do you know that phrase snitches get stitches it's the worst worst thing in the world isn't it please don't be a Christian whoever talks about another Christian to a mature Christian in order to help them because <laughs> snitches get stitches you know, one of the ways that we can remain silent, an unintentional thing we remain silent, that there's the guilt is we know things about other Christians and we should want to bring them back from the error. We should want to um, help them to see this and uncover that, get another mature Christian involved out of love because we want to see them progress in the Lord. But we remain silent for whatever reasons, don't want to damage their friendship, don't want to be seen as a person who's um, too spiritually mature or um, whatever it might be. Here's, here's the second case study. Um, silence. The first one is silent when you should have spoken. Number two is dirty when you should have washed. Uh, verses two um, and three. Obviously, this is not just about hygiene. This is about um, the laws and uh, failure to perform the ritual that was needed after the discovery of their contamination. Um, that's what's happening. So whatever happens, there's lots of laws in Leviticus about what you should eat, what you can and can't eat, or uh, whatever it might uh, be, things that you can and can't touch. Uh, and these people have become defiled, contaminated, um, and then they've not given um, the necessary sacrifice. And we need to be ready to keep short um, accounts um, with God. And so these people, it's It's become aware to them, but they've just not done what was um, necessary. And if we cling to that which defiles and we're not ready um, to bring it before the Lord and and to put it off, it's only going to result in um, greater uh, impact in our lives. Here's the third case study. Um, So number one, silent when you should have spoken. Number two, dirty when you should have washed. Number three, spoken when you should have remained silent. Spoken when you should have remained silent. Failure to fulfill an oath that they've made. Maybe it was a rash promise for good or for ill, um, it says. But we should be ready to act upon um, our um, words. It's so easy to do, isn't it? Sometimes just out of enthusiasm, we'll say to someone in church needs help. No problem, I'll help you. Maybe they're moving house or something. And then you get home. You tell your spouse, and they say, oh, we're out that day. And you say, oh, well, there'll be other people there. I'll just keep my head down. <laughs> other people will do it. Um, kind of a rash promise. But when we're told in the New Testament that our yes is to be yes and our no is to be no, that we worship a God of truth, it's unintentional, isn't it? You didn't, it wasn't planned that you just wanted them to think well of you and so said that. Um, but you end up making a promise 
them and you can't come good on it. And we're to recognize it, that is something to bring before the Lord. So let's, let's, keep, let's dig a bit deeper into the nature of the sacrifices. Because God welcomes people into freedom and forgiveness from sin. So the consequences of sin is often described in terms of, in Leviticus, of impurity, uncleanness. Uh, that's why some, as I said, describe this offering as the purification offering. And you remember David in Psalm 51 pleading with the Lord to wash away all his iniquity, cleanse him from his sin, wash me with hyssop and I shall be clean. We know that feeling, don't we? Uh, our sin, uh, it does defile us. And we feel that defilement. We feel dirty. We want to be um, cleansed. Um, I guess that's why um, that hymn resonates with us, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood um, of Jesus. It resonates with us because we, we know we need to be washed uh, in our mind, our, our hearts, our entire lives. And in this sacrifice, the Lord proclaims freedom from past sin. God not only makes us fully aware of our problem, but he provides fully through his solution. And just notice that the sacrifices followed the salvation. First, he rescued them from slavery in Egypt. He then gave them the laws from Mount Sinai. And then he then gave them um, the sacrifices. So they were set free to live free. But he didn't give them a law as a ladder. There it is. He didn't give them the law as a ladder upon which they could climb um, to their freedom. No, we parted the Red Sea so that they got free. He saved them. He rescued them. And then he gives them the laws as a highway to that happy life. It wasn't a ladder um, to climb to salvation, but um, it was the highway of salvation. And the Lord knew that they would fail, knew that we fail. And he gave them the sacrifices so that they could continue to live in freedom even though they were failures. So do you think about this? The sacrifices are not there as a constant reminder that they're failures. But they're there so that failures can remain in constant fellowship with their saviour. The sacrifices proclaimed to them that they were saved and safe from their past sinful life, and that the power of sin over them had been broken, and so now they could live in freedom. And these sacrifices, in the sacrifices, the Lord proclaims forgiveness for present sin. Now remember this, as I said, the purification offering was for unintentional sin, verse 2 22 and 27. It's not planned. It's sin that we wander into through um, ignorant or negligence. That's in the book of Come and Pray. Do you use that? Prayer? Yeah. Okay. Not just about you know, through um, ignorance, negligence, ignorance, um, and our own de deliberate fault. But sometimes we disobey God's law out of ignorance, don't we? Um, I remember driving down um, a street in an unfamiliar um, city. I wasn't in the um, um, 1976 um, Nissan um, Datsun Sunny. That's what the car was. It was a Datsun Sunny, um, the picture they said. Which, interestingly, was registered on the 23rd of October 1976. And I was born on the 23rd of October 1976. So I actually, uh, the car I was driving had the same birthday as me. There we go. <laughs> Fact. <laughs> so I'm driving down in this city, and then people on the um, on the pavement, they're waving at me like that. Ah, wave back at them. <laughs> Thought this is friendly. Out of London, people are waving at you on the, on the streets. And I'm going out, and then other cars are flashing me. I just thought, what are they flashing at? So I thought, it, wasn't, it was during the day, so it's not about lights and anything like that. And I got to the end, and this guy just stopped out. Oh, dear, I put the window down. One-way street, you idiot! Oh, right. right, I was driving down a one-way street. So it wasn't a willful, I didn't think, yeah, come on, a bit of excitement. I'll go drive down this one-way street. It was through ignorance. I'd missed, I'd missed the sign. I was going down this street. Um, everybody else was making me fully aware of it. Um, 
But even though I did it out of negligence, I was nonetheless guilty. If one of the cars coming the other way would have been a copper, uh, as we call them in the north, pigs. Uh, <laughs> different, you've got different names. So we've, got, we've, got, we've got them in our congregation. Uh, don't, don't worry. Uh, just true. I'm just I'm helping you culturally if you ever come to the... <laughs> If you ever come to the north and they say, watch out for the pigs, they're not talking about wild, yeah, four-legged beasts running around. They're talking about the coppers. So if he was flashing me, he's not, and I say, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't see the sign, what do you think he's going to say? Most likely he'd say, well, your, your, your ignorance doesn't remove your guilt. I'm afraid you're going to have to have a, um, a ticket. And here, praise God... Um, that he has provided um, a sacrifice and he provided for the Israelites. And we know that Christ's sacrifice for us covers even those sins of ignorance. But then you've got an unintentional sin can be committed because of negligence. So imagine you're in the car still. Uh, you stop at a traffic light. Um, you've um, been listening to um, Ben's worship music for the past 30 minutes. And he thought, well, I'm just going to have a change or something different. And maybe put on some sovereign grace. <laughs> so you lean down to pick up the, um, the CD. And then you, just out of the corner of your eyes, you see the cars moving either side of you. And so you let your foot off the brake and your car goes forward and you hit the car in front of you. Okay, you were negligent, weren't you? You didn't do it deliberately. Um, you, know, you might have broken Ben's CD deliberately. You didn't, but I'm, I'm joking, Ben. I'm joking. It's just having a room because you're at the front. So. No, but it was a negligence, yes? It's just negligent. I didn't mean to do it. But nevertheless, it doesn't remove um, the guilt. The damage has been caused. It needs to be paid for. And Christians, we make, we make stupid uh, mistakes. Many, many stupid mistakes where we wander into sin. And it's not so much willfully and it's not planned malice. It's just stupid mistakes. Not, not knowing what we're doing. Not having the right teaching or um, a lack of maturity at a particular time. And then we become aware of it. Someone makes aware of it. Someone makes aware of it. And we bring it before the Lord. See, just because we commit unintentional sins out of ignorance or negligence doesn't mean that we don't incur or we don't experience the consequences because of those sins and, the, and there's guilt incurred by those sins. We're defiled by all sin and so our gracious God, and this is what just really wound my heart, the graciousness of God to even provide this sacrifice for the Israelites to atone for unintentional sin so that they could live in forgiveness and freedom. So what steps are we to take according to this sacrifice that would teach us as Christians about how to go about dealing with um, our sin and unintentional sins of ignorance? Well, I would say there's a four-step process. And it's this, identify, confess, Plead and receive. Uh, who's heard of the name it and claim it gospel? Name it and claim it. Have you heard of that? Yeah, it's it basically you, know, you say, oh, God's going to do this for me. You claim God's promises. You name the promises. You claim them and you're going to get them. It's, like, it's part of the health, wealth and prosperity gospel. I'm going to give you the name it and claim it um, gospel um, now, um, according to the gospel. <laughs> uh, so the first one is um, identify. He realizes his guilt. That's said four times. Verse 2, verse 3, verse 4, verse 5. In other words, realizing your guilt is a prerequisite for offering this sacrifice. Now, how do these people um, who bring the sin offering realize their guilt? I guess any number of ways. They might simply remember something that they'd forgotten. Perhaps something was going on in their life that they deemed the Lord's judgment and it brought them to some meditation on that. Maybe they just 
putting two, two and two together, the Holy Spirit brought conviction to their hearts. Another Christian pointed it out to them. Who knows? But what we know is it says that they realized their guilt. They identified it. They named it. They said, this is sin. Maybe I was unaware of that until this moment, but this, this is sin. And it needs to be named um, as sin. And that's the first step to being cleansed of that sin. And then it says they had to confess it. When a worshiper realizes their guilt, they must immediately do something positive with that guilt. What is it? it says verse 5 of chapter 5, confess. Uh, and to confess, the word is to, to throw um, off or to cast um, off. It's ritually to take something inside of you, um, your sin, your guilt, and throw it and cast it onto something else. But if you think about that, first, you have to be burdened by it, don't you, to want to cast it off. Um, whenever I've been um, out somewhere and, and carrying um, lots, of, lots of bags, when you, when you first have um, children, well, actually, let's go with this one, although children are not a burden, obviously. <laughs> but when, you, when you've got young children, you kind of build up this, these muscles that you've got no idea that you, you, like, you had them in. They make you so strong. But in church, I love um, to hold the children there. And sometimes during the, the songs, if there's one next to me, so I can hold them for the song. And then about one minute, 30 seconds into the song, I'm like, oh, my, oh my life. My, I just can't do it. My arms are aching. And I said to the parent, I'm oh, sorry, I'm too weak to hold your child. And uh, It's not because they're big or anything. I'm sure they're on the right growth path and everything. But, but you've got to be burdened by something. And when you're burdened by it, you, you want to cast it off. You want to move it on. You want to release um, from it. And here, you must feel the weight of your guilt before God. You must internalize it and then verbalize it. Um, you must not pass the blame onto someone else. You certainly mustn't blame God. It's not about passing the blame. It's about casting the guilt. You did the thing. You did the wrong. You fell short of God's glory. You're the guilty one. You have to feel that in your heart and mind. And only then can you confess it <clears throat> to God, casting the burden upon him through the sacrifice. So here you've got it. Name it and then claim it. This is sin. This is my sin. This is sin and this is my sin. So you realize your guilt, you confess it, then you bring to the Lord um, the offering. That's your plea. The one who is found guilty is not forgiven and cleansed because um, he confessed his sin, but because he pleaded and the blood uh, of the sacrifice. Come on, we'll go again. Anybody? Anne of Green Gables. Anne of Green. Whoa, that's a bigger crowd. That's a big one. Anne of Green Gables, I didn't get into that until I got married. Um, Laura, my wife, she sat through Star Wars and Lord of the Rings um, under a covenant that then I would watch Anne of Green Gables. <laughs> so I did. And I really enjoyed it. I think it's so sweet, lovely. Um, I've not told anybody in the North that. You can have it. <laughs> no, I don't go down well down here. So there's this um, part where Anne has... Um, sinned against um, one of the neighbours of the um, couple that she's living with and she has to go around and make this apology and she drops onto her knees and she's down on the floor forgive me Lynn for I have heard in my ways against you and it goes on and on and on and then on the way home when she's um, chatting to Marilla she said how did I do? <laughs> how did I do? The whole idea that the basis of whether she could get back in Marilla's good books would be how good she did on the confession, uh, how contrite she, she was. Uh, and Marilla has some wise words to say to her. And, and here, we're not pleading our confession. We're not even pleading the depth of our guilt, are we? We're pleading the sacrifice. 
We plead in the blood. The blood of the sacrifice. Name it, this is sin. Claim it, this is my sin. And then cover it, this is my substitute. This is, this is my sacrifice. And when they do that, we're told that they will be forgiven, chapter 5, verse 10 and 13, that their sin will be atoned for, verse 6, 10 and 13. And so it's time to receive all the benefits of the sacrifice, to live in forgiveness and freedom, not burdened and weighed down, but lifted up, rising to your feet to live in the freedom and forgiveness that comes through the sacrifice that God has provided. Name it, this is sin. Claim it, this is my sin. Cover it, this is my substitute. And then receive it fully. This is my cleansing. This is my cleansing. Even for those unintentional sins of ignorance, Ignorance, Christ has provided all that is necessary for us to be cleansed. You say, in some respect, all these um, sacrifices, they point us forward to Christ in some way and find fulfillment in the person and work of Jesus. So just to close, it teaches us about the nature of Jesus' sacrifice and that God cleanses his people fully and finally from sin. Hebrews 9, 22 states, the general principle that under the law, everything is to be purified by blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. The removal of sin was complete when all sin was transferred to Jesus, who bore it on the cross, uh, outside the camp. Again, when you read Leviticus, read all that stuff about outside um, the camp. And this is picked up by the author of Hebrews. Because Jesus' holy and undefiled life was sacrificed for us, we, we read these words. Let me step to one side. Uh, it was necessary uh, then for the copies of the heavenly um, things to be purified with these sacrifices. This is talk about Leviticus and, and the tent of meat and what's going on here. But the heavenly things themselves were better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands. There was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again in the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to have suffered many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages, to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Christ has come to do away with sin, to cleanse from everything, to take his blood into the heavenly sanctuary so that we can enter in. And what does that mean for us? Well, look how the author of Hebrews continues in chapter I'm 10, let me read it again. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence, I love that, confidence, because we know all our sin is atoned for, the willful sins, unintentional sins, that Christ's sacrifice is enough, is once for all sacrifice. And since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water having our consciences cleansed. Do you see how sweet this sacrifice is? 
as it points us forward to Christ who cleanses us of every sin. The high-handed sins, yes, but also those unintentional sins of negligence and ignorance. How can I be free from sin? That's what we want, isn't it? That's what we really want. Don't, isn't that what you want as a Christian? How can I be free from sin? Lead me to the cross of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we um, know, as we were thinking in the first session, that we want to um, offer, offer up our lives in spirit and truth, pouring out the oil of love as our worship to you. That's what we want to do. But we recognize, Lord, that everything we do is in some way contaminated. And sometimes, whether it's things that we do and we don't know about our motive or our wrong goals, and they're contaminated in that way, or whether it's the things we fail to do, and it comes to light that we should have spoken up, we should have remained silent, we shouldn't have participated in that. And you, Lord, you have provided the, the way, provided the way for sinners to offer sacrifices that are pleasing to you because of the once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So we thank and praise you for the blood of Jesus that gives us assurance and that cleanses even the conscience so that we can live in freedom and forgiveness. Amen.